before you start this episode, please can you click subscribe below and follow our social handles in the description. It's a massive help and it keeps you up to date with all the exciting announcements from the podcast. Cheers, Ben, for coming on. Welcome. Appreciate your time. Thanks for having us. I know you're a busy guy. Um, so, first question, I'm going to jump jump, uh, jump straight in. So, usually what I ask everyone to do is to kind of go from start life to this point and yep. try and do it in about a minute, minute and a half. Bit of a challenge. That will force you to bring out the pertinent points that are really A minute, important. minute and a half. Gotcha. So, you up for the challenge? Go for it. Yeah. So, tell me about Ben Owen in a minute, minute and a half. In a minute, a minute and a half. Ben Owen. Um, God, uh, as a 17-year-old... I think my father probably got annoyed with me hanging around street corners, drinking beer and coming home late. He frog marched me down the careers office for the military. Um, I actually went in the careers office to join the Royal Marines. I was sat in the waiting area. Uh, the, the, the Navy recruitment guy was out the office on his lunch yeah. and a, an Air Force guy came in, nabbed me, stuck me in a room, said, if you want to join the Marines, watch this video. He showed me a video of the RF regiment, which is the infantry uh, fighting force of the Air Force. And that's how I joined the RF regiment. Um, purely because the Navy guy was out on lunch. Um, uh, that's how li- but that's how life works out, isn't it? Yeah. And, and that's how the start of my, my life worked out because the Navy guy went on lunch. Anyway, it's a minute. So I, I, I was in the military for a short period, six, seven years. Yeah. Um, I was in Gulf War II at age 19. Served in lots of different areas across the world, but that was uh, my only wartime conflict. Afghanistan came after my military career finished. At the ripe old age of 22, I joined um, the intelligence services working for the Ministry of Defence. That's probably my longest career to date at the moment. I spent about 10 years yeah. uh, in the intelligence world. Um, as with life, you get bored and stagnant and want to move on and try different things. I moved out into the private industry. Best thing I ever did in my life. Um, as soon as I left uh, the, the government work, I was, again, friend of a friend of a friend right place, right time. Do you fancy doing this cool project? Yes, I do. And it ended up being hunted. I filmed the the first ever hunted uh, to go out globally. At the time we did it, it was just a, it was an experiment. Yeah. Um, and then from there, I've, I've filmed all across the world, um, just finishing Australia. Uh, but my main job at the moment is cybersecurity. I work in digital intelligence and keeping people safe online. Well over a minute, sorry. Well over a minute, but, <laughs> but we got we got there a lot shorter than most people, actually. So, isn't it? So, yeah, that, 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 that's pretty good. Well, let's go back to some of the early stuff. So, I know you mentioned you sort of joined um, the military about yeah. 17. Yeah. So, what would, if you take a step further behind that, so what was kind of early years, Ben? Early years, Ben. Um, well, I don't want to give like a shaggy dog story because I'm, I'm always a big believer of someone's had it harder than you. Yeah. Um, someone's had, you know, more financial difficulties than you. Someone's grown up in a harder area or a tougher area, yeah. dealt with more adversity than you. Um, but my um, my mother died when I was four. She was an alcoholic. Uh, she had a heart attack. My parents already split up. So then me and my brother moved in with my father. He was great, worked his ass off. Um, he was a school caretaker. So we didn't have much money. Um, but again, that's not me, you know, a, a, a sob story at all. Yeah. Because actually, when I look at my childhood, as tough as it was, as in like we didn't get things handed to us, we had to be dynamic and literally make things up to have fun. You know, yeah. you know, manhunt, football, kicking tin cans around in the street, yeah. um, all of that kind of stuff you'd expect in the sort of growing up in the 80s and 90s in, in, in sort of a council estate area. But actually, now I look back at my childhood and I have so many fond memories. I do not regret any of it. I thought it was great. And although it was very sad my mother died at four, yeah. actually because of that and growing up without a mother figure in a, in a sort of a 
tough kind of area um, with not much money. Um, actually, I think that made me the person I am today. So I, I'm thankful for the opportunity of my childhood, if that makes sense. Yeah. Most people, I guess, would say I'm thankful that my parents had a, a shitload of money. Yeah. Am I allowed to swear, by the way? Yeah, of course you can. My, I, you know, most people would say I'm thankful my parents had a shitload of money and they bought my first apartment and car and I'm off to the races. Yeah. Uh, but I'm actually thankful I'd never had any of that. I've never had a handout. I've never had any inheritance. I've Everything I've done, uh, I've done it through myself because of the t- determination and resilience I had to have as a young man. Yeah. Um, so I'm, I'm sort of thankful for that upbringing. I had a great time. We yeah. made some really good laughs, great friends, uh, friends that I'll keep forever. Um, and I think because of the discipline my father gave me and my brother, yeah. um, it, it, he, was, he was hard on us, really yeah. hard on us, because I think he recognised we could fall off the, the slopes really quickly. So yeah. the discipline he instilled on us... So what was the sort of discipline... As in, you know, every day we would we would do, you know, cleaning the house. On Sundays, he would inspect the house after we cleaned yeah. it. Um, we would be doing the dishes. At, he he actually, which is a funny story, I tell people now, they go, oh, my God, that's horrible. But I thought it was funny at the time because I'm short now. But at the time, I couldn't reach the sink. Yeah. He built us a, um, like a table out of an old milk cart. Yeah. Put some wood on the top so we could step on it to do the washing up. Washing up rotors, you know, no, all the stuff no excuses, that I no. think would be normal now, but actually most families don't do that. The parents do do everything, um, which is fine. People people grow up in different, um, you know, with, with different parents, but we did do everything because he was a single parent. He was out yeah. working, so we didn't have that constant... Um, um, you know, we didn't have the constant mollycoddling where we were looked after all the time and patted on the back and yeah. said, it's all right, boy, don't worry, don't yeah. cry. We just got on with it. Yeah. Um, it, you know, if we put a foot out of line, we would know about it, click yeah. around the ear roll kind of thing. Yeah. Uh, but because of that, I guess my point is because of the way he parented us, I actually found joining the military as a young man at 17, yeah. you're still wet behind the ears. You've got no life experience. Yeah. I wasn't particularly physically fit because who is at 17 years old? I played yeah. football and kept, you know, kept fit so to speak, but because of the discipline, the upbringing, resilience, experience I had through that, I actually found it okay. Just it was, it was in quite well. It was, it was yeah. tough work because I'd never lived away from home before. Yeah. Um, but I'd always looked after myself. And actually when I got on the training, I'm 17, I'm looking round, like I haven't even got stubble at this point. Um, I'm looking round, there's men. At least you don't need to shave. Exactly, I stick my head out <laughs> the window in the car and it comes off. Um, but I'm looking round, there's grown men. Like, to me, they were men, like, mid-20s, late-20s, yeah. 30s. And as a 17-year-old, that was quite daunting. I was thinking, shit, yeah. you know, I'm, I'm never going to pass this. It was six months training. Yeah. Uh, it's really, really hard. It was hard. Um, wh- whichever regiment you join the military, um, you know, I don't care how long, whether it's three months, six months, if you're 17, you've never lived away from home, yeah. it's daunting. Yeah, of course. Is there any military history in your family or...? Uh, actually not my immediate family, um, but my extended family, obviously my grandparents, um, my grandfather, um, was, you know, I've got all of his medals still. Um, yeah. but I think most grandparents nowadays, maybe, maybe a bit longer back in the generations would have fought in the wars, yeah. um, but not a massive military history, but I was one of them kids that I think most kids growing up in the eighties wanted to be soldiers when they're older. And I okay. sort of never grew out of that. Okay. For Christmas, yeah. I wanted my dad to buy me military books and stuff like that. So I was a bit yeah. of a military geek, and I never yeah. grew out of it. And I sort of knew that's what I wanted to do. Did you think you know what you want? So my daughter's sort of 17, and she has no idea. 17 at the end of the year, and she hasn't got a clue what she wants to do. And, yeah. and, and there's a lot of pressure on kids. And I, I, was, I was on a podcast the other week talking about talking to an audience that was 
you know, uni leavers, school leavers and stuff. And there's so there's so much there's the lack of support out there for understanding exactly where you can go. Unless you really, really know, I want to go uni because I want to be a vet or I want to go uni because I want to be a doctor. The work element of what companies are out there, what opportunities are out there, what you can learn is the, the, the support to, to gauge what is out there is really, really minimal. Did you always know you wanted to be a military guy, even from a young age? I think I did. I think I always knew that. Um, but but back then, I'm saying it like I'm really old. I'm, I'm nearly 40, so I'm not that old, hopefully. Um, but back then, it was a lot easier. Yeah, there weren't that many options nowadays. Okay. I get I get all these titles of work. I have no idea what they are. Yeah, there's so many options on the table. That's yeah. why it's confusing for 17 year olds now. They're yeah. like, what the hell do I do? We've we now live in a digital world where everything's forced down your throat. Yeah, um, you know all these influencers online, and it confuses. I think it confuses the younger yeah, yeah. generation. I think what the hell do I do? But actually, when I was growing up. It was easy. You joined the military. You was a tradesman. If you were clever, you'd go into London and work somewhere. Yeah. Um, it was actually sort of easy to choose what you wanted to do. Yeah. Um, but yeah, I, I knew I wanted to do that. And that, that dad influenced that decision as well. He did because he knew I wasn't particularly academic. I was never naughty at school. I found it incredibly boring. I just didn't like school. I was never really naughty at all. I've got yeah. in trouble a couple of times, but just a steady Eddie. But I found it really boring. Yeah. I wasn't very academic. I'm still not very academic. I can't pick pick stuff up very quickly. Yeah. I learned through repetition. Yeah. Um, so I never was going to do well at school. I didn't do well at school grades-wise. Yeah. And that's why my dad, he did sort of encourage that because he knew at that time if you go into that, you do that well, you're disciplined, you're fit, you're resilient, what you can achieve after, after leaving the that, military, yeah. that's when it comes to fruition. And yeah. and, and that's how I it's worked out. I suppose that kind of linked in with what you were saying about his parenting style, being, yeah. a, being a single parent as well and keeping you in line and making yeah. sure that things are done at certain times, exactly. standing the checks. I suppose he might have thought, look, there's some already some good base disciplines that he might Definitely. be able to use. Yeah, 100%. So when, so when you joined the military then, um, when you were 17, tell us a bit about kind of your first... Six twelve months doing that. Cause I, I mean, I've never done it, but I've got friends that, that that do do it. That are still there now, doing bits and pieces. And it's a for some, it's a real shock to the system. You mentioned it's not. So, what was the kind of first year or a couple of years? What were you doing? Well, actually, again, this isn't blowing smoke up my ass at all. But actually, every course I did, I got top student as well because because of that. I I just I had this inherent drive inside of me to to not to please, but to 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 show the instructors my commanders that I am willing to work my ass off yeah and I think that sort of attitude it just it just sort of came out and I think the fact I was 17 I was thinking shit this guy's actually quite good for 17 most 17 year olds wouldn't even pass the course or yeah they'd go running back to mummy after one week or the girlfriends or whatever yeah um slightly digress sorry but I think yeah uh, I, I passed the six months training got top student so that was great even my dad was like how the hell did you do that so even he was surprised uh, as I was and then I was posted to my first unit, which was based in West London, um, because I was still 17 at the point when I went to the squadron. Actually, yeah. if you got top student, they said you can have your first choice of deployment. Okay. So I put Germany yeah. as my first choice, but because I was not an adult yet, I wasn't allowed to go to Germany. So I got my second choice, which was the Queen's Colour Squadron, which is actually a drill and ceremonial unit. They're based in RF Northolt at the moment, but... Oh my God, an incredible time. It was great. You know, half of the year we'd do drill and ceremonial. So we'd Buckingham Palace, Windsor Castle, traveling the world, doing uh, displays um, to, to, you know, rural, um, you know, dignitaries across the world. Incredible travel, you know, Canada, Australia, Europe. It was brilliant. America. 
Um, and then the other six months was um, your, your greens, as you said. So that would okay. be the infantry work. So yeah. uh, that's my, my first couple of years. I think my first training exercise, I went to Cyprus. I was still 17 at the point. That was that was um, an indoctrination, I can tell you. Going to Cyprus on squadron after training as the new boy yeah. at 17 years old. Most people wanted to knock you down a pebble. My so God. It was, dad. yeah. When I, actually, at the time, I just got on with it. But yeah. now I look back and think, Jesus, that that it was bullying, yeah. but it was character building. It was acceptable, and that's what made things okay at the time because because there wasn't that constant pressure of, I guess, just throwing out there being frank, people getting upset. Yeah. But again, I look back, and as harsh as it was, you know, like the bigger boys would come back after drinking all night out in Cyprus. Yeah. I wasn't invited to go out because I was seventeen. I was the new lad. They didn't know me. It's like you can go away, mate. Yeah. Um, they'd come back, lift you out of your bed, give you a boot, you know, all that kind of stuff. What the, what's the worst experience you... I mean, it, it might have been character building it. You wouldn't have found out at the time, maybe. No, exactly, back, yeah. What's the, what's the worst experience you had of that? Like, what's the worst thing they've done to kind of induct you? I think I was quite lucky. Um, actually, other new members... Did you hear some stories? Got it worse. Yeah, yeah, they did get it worse. So I, I was quite lucky, I think. Maybe, may, I don't know why. Maybe it's just because I got my head down and accepted a few things and over a while they're, all right, okay, he's all right now, but... Um, yeah, some some horror stories of what other people had. I think um, they you know they would get a couple of the new lads to have a fight, and they would bet on who would win stuff like. But at the time, it was it was acceptable. I, yeah. I'm not saying this is like it was really wrong. Yeah. At that time, in that environment, it was acceptable, and it yeah. it was absolutely fine. Um, nowadays, I think there would be an issue with that kind of thing. Yeah. Um, but again, as with all experiences that I've uh, had. I now look back at that and I'm grateful I had it Yeah, because it does make you more mentally resilient. It yeah. really, really does. I don't care what anyone says because I'm a big believer of never make excuses. I've had some crap through my life, but yeah. so have you. So have everyone listening to this, to this podcast have had crap in their life to deal with. Yeah. But what you can't do in life is go forward and blame incidents, people or experiences you've had. My mum died at four. She was an alcoholic. I could have not got a job, you know, taken drugs been an alcoholic myself and blamed my mother yeah why would you do that it's not her fault i need to look after my own life and everyone else needs to get a grip because i think no i say that it sounds quite harsh but 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 people do need to take ownership yeah and just deal with the things that have happened in their life look at look at the benefits from it at the time you won't see the benefits but a year after you will because it might have molded you into a better person. Mm. As cliche as it is, a door shuts, another one opens. That is so true. It really, really is. I've always found with my experience, the time when you make the decision to be positive in the face of something that's yeah. negative or adverse, that's when good stuff happens to you. Of course it does. It's, yeah. as if you're, it's as if the world's rewarding you for choosing the right path. Yeah. And it, when you kind of get wrapped up in the negativity, that only gets followed by more and more and more. And you're in this away. cycle. Yeah, you won't be able to get out Especially with social media these days. And, and as well, family as well, I think play a part because they don't want you to take the risk necessarily they want you to play it safe they want you to be okay and naturally i think humans are quite negative individuals anyway and take that negative you go on social media there is a load of positive stuff on there but the majority of the news the social media it's it's taken negatively even if it's positive because correct. you're comparing yourself to something that's just uncomparable yeah you're comparing correct. yourself to somebody that's 10 years further down the line with more experiences or i've got millions of pounds in the bank or happy to go on holidays here and there and you're looking at your own situation and thinking well why am I not good enough yeah you're always it's looking at someone for, else for people and do you know what you're absolutely right you mentioned about uh taking the safer path or, or being safe yeah and what I've always found I think my dad is that person yeah he 
he wanted a stable job. He wanted the monthly salary. He would yeah. not step out of his comfort zone. He was too scared. Yeah. Um, but he's not a scared person. It was it's weird. I've been completely different. I've taken so many risks in life. I left the military to join uh, government services. I'd left that job. I'd already signed the papers to leave, joined a course which I could have failed, yeah. and then I would have had no Nothing. job. Yeah. But if I didn't take that risk, I wouldn't have got the job. I wouldn't have had 10 years' great experience mm. to then go out in the private industry. Again, leaving the government job to do a private job, it's pretty crap at the time thinking, oh, have I done the right thing? But actually you do need to take these risks in life, especially now, because yeah. it used to be the case of uh, you are encouraged to go to school, you're encouraged to go to university, get a job, have a stable income, pay the bills, get a car, have one holiday a year. Yeah. I couldn't think of anything more boring. Yeah. I really what, but couldn't. That's, but that's what society tells you yes. is the right thing to do. But I don't think it is, personally speaking, through my experiences. Yeah. And I know every person's experience is different. But if you're that person and you are doing that job, and you're having one holiday a year, you're getting up at seven in the morning, getting the train into London, pissed off and bored, take the risk. Yeah. It would be it's my advice. You, take the you, risk. It's only you that can change it. Take the risk. The because, day, yeah, yeah and, and it's not because I'm potentially cleverer than anyone else. It's because I've taken the risks. Yeah. I'm able to wake up in the morning with the sun shining and say, do you know what? Uh, I'm going to do this work at the coffee shop and look at the sea with the sun rising and work anywhere. And, but that might not be for some people, of course. But yeah, yeah my, my advice would be if, if you feel like you're stuck in a rut board, take the risk. It always does pay off. You've got nothing to lose. It, Maybe not initially, yeah. but in five years you'll look back and go, what a good decision that was. Yeah, now, you might have some hard times to get there. But yeah, absolutely yeah, you right. Yeah. take the risk. Absolutely. You're going to be in the same, the same rut for years. Yeah. So with the military then, so before we kind of move on to you, you, you moving on from that, what was the hardest point, hardest time in the military for you? Toughest point? I think um, probably Gulf War Two. I was nineteen. Again, I'm still a teenager. Yeah, um, it's crazy to think that. Yeah. My, my daughter being seventeen at the end of the year, to only two years on from that, you're yeah. in that sort of a situation. I remember before we deployed, because obviously all the politics going on in the background, and again at nineteen, I had no idea what the politics were uh, yeah. was. I really had no idea really why we were going there. All we were told it was you know weapons of mass destruction. Yeah, Saddam Hussein watching the news, Twin Towers, and you think, oh, okay, that's why we're going. Really, actually, there was a big machine behind it politically. Of course, there yeah. always is. So I had no idea about that. But I remember before even we we deployed, it was it was on. We're going to the airport. It's not off. Uh, it's not on. We sat we sat there for a day. It's on. We go back to the airport. Flight's cancelled. But really, I think looking back, the hardest point in my military career was being so young, probably naive, and being so far away in a desert somewhere. Um, it was just a weird, surreal experience, and yeah. I and I remember the feeling of just wanting to go home. How did you deal with that as a nineteen-year-old? Comrades, you have all your friends around you. At that point, in that situation, they're the best friends in the world. Yeah. So you're kind of two years in. So are you feeling accepted at that? point? Yeah, accepted. Yeah. Everyone's getting on. And to be honest, even if you were new and you went to that situation, everything changes. There's none of that. You know, we're going to teach you a lesson because you're new. Yeah. You are all brothers in arms at that point, Business aren't head you? On type yeah. Thing, yeah. And I'll be honest. Um, we didn't see an incredible amount of conflict because we went in after the Americans through the Kuwaiti border into Safwan and then up to Basra. Um, there were some hairy moments during the deployment, but I'm not going to say to you I was there, you know, fighting um, insurgents every single day. That wasn't the case. But just being there that young, that experience, never having that experience before in a weird, strange environment. Um, yeah, I found it. I found it tough. Yeah. But once again, I look back. I'm it's glad I did it. Yeah. Glad I did it. What's the worst thing you saw 
in that conflict? I think going to um, lot, lots of things, but do you know what? Actually, I changed my mind. The worst thing I saw was not actually any conflict stuff. So I, I'd seen a, a chap on fire. Um, it wasn't through it wasn't through a fight with insurgents and us. Yeah. It was it was an accident in one of their fire uh, stations. So that that was horrific. But do you know what? The the worst thing that haunts me is a mistake I made. We were going around just doing hearts and minds, they call it, going around the local villages, okay. you know, farmers. Yeah, hello, stuff, yeah. hello, giving biscuits out, kids, water, stuff like that. Um, and I drove in to this farm. And as I was driving out, I made a mistake and I drove over this chap's piping. So I broke his piping and all his uh, irrigation to his farm. And I, I honestly, mate, I, I felt terrible. Um, and then we went back the next day and helped him fix it because I couldn't yeah. relax. Um, because that was potentially his livelihood, but we, yeah. we fixed it. But for 24 hours, I felt like the worst person on earth yeah. because I just saw his face when I'd done it. He's thinking, oh my God. That's the end of me. Something, that's it. Yeah. And yeah. it was just an accident. And you've um, gone in there without yeah, him wanting you in yeah, there. And, um, yeah. and, and second to that, I think it was, and going back to my point earlier about my upbringing, there's always someone worse off and, and yeah. driving around the villages and seeing the children um, disheartened, probably a bit confused, wondering what the hell's going on having to really sort their own shit out. Yeah. Um, that that was quite a tough bit. As as and I, I'm I'm still young at that point and that was difficult for me to deal with emotionally, seeing seeing the kids really and, and how they how they were brought up. Yeah. And I said I would never moan again after coming back from that. Actually seeing how yeah. other kids grew up in them environments. Um yeah, really I think it's different people's opinion and versions yeah. of what's difficult. And then when you see when you that, see real difficulty, yeah, yeah. real adversary, that's when you snap out of it and go, do you know what? Whatever you've dealt with, yeah, ain't that bad. Yeah. get on with it. Yeah, yeah. That, that kind of thing. So so why the, why the choice to go from military into the sort of intelligence world? How did that come about? I think for me, it all stemmed... I, I, um, I passed my sniper's course, which is one of the best things I'd ever done. One of the hardest courses I've ever done, Was still to this day. 18, 19? Uh, I was... I think 20, um, 21. I passed the course. I didn't, I left not long after being a badge sniper, I think about a year after. Yeah. Course was fantastic. But to even be accepted onto the course, you need to show a high degree of uh, professionalism as a soldier. Yeah. Because you're just never going to pass the course. It, it's it, Being a sniper is, is one of them skills you have to be good at lots of different things, not just good at one thing. Yeah. You need to be good at map reading, navigation, observation skills, stalking skills, um, definitely resilient obviously shooting um judging distances lots and lots of different things you yeah. have to pass and there's no like i'll oh, get 50 percent, you pass yeah. you need to pass 100 yeah. percent on every single different um badge skill um hardest course i've ever done but the best course i've ever done in in equal measure um the sleep deprivation on it was horrible is that when you're doing sort of reconnaissance yeah you know? and it was literally you get back after 48 hours and they go right um Brew up, get a brew, back into briefing, you're back out again. And you think, oh, my God, maybe the next one I can have just an hour's sleep. That's all I want. Um, but anyway, from my my sniper um, training and then obviously putting into practice after, I fell in love with the concept of intelligence gathering because, you know, the sniper in the battlefield is, is I guess, as cheesy as it sounds, it's a bit of a force multiplier. You are the eyes and ears of the, the bigger unit. Yeah. You're going ahead of them, maybe potentially two, three days ahead to observe the enemy, to feed that information back. Yeah. Knowing your enemy better than they know themselves 
is an incredible advantage in in any in any environment, whether that's um, espionage, whether that's dealing with you know searching and and investigating terrorism, yeah. whether that's law enforcement. So I fell in love with the notion of brains over brawn. Yeah. Um, and I, I, a friend said to me, oh, "Have you considered joining uh, the MOD and they do like intelligence gathering stuff?" I thought, you know what, I have never I've never really thought of that. And anyway. It was the sort of times the internet was just becoming a thing okay. uh, where you'd click a button, it'd make a funny noise down the phone line. And, and I applied online, sent the CV, and they just kept coming back with, you pass that section, come back for another test. I'd pass that test. And every test I passed, I thought, oh, I'll probably fail at some point. Yeah. Because I think most people think anyone going into the intelligence world, whether that's government or otherwise, think it's sort of Oxbridge yeah. um, delegates going forward. Yeah. I had one C grade. I'm sure I actually lied on my uh, paperwork to get in the military to bump it up to three A to C's. I've yeah. never had that. Um, I can say that now because I've left years, years <laughs> yeah, ago. Yeah, I was going to say you won't get in trouble. <laughs> um, but yeah, and I, I just, I, yeah, it was the it was the whole concept of um, sort of knowing your enemy a lot better, intelligence gathering, being being smart and outboxing, so to speak, uh, your your enemy. And I think that's. Uh, that's where I fell in love with intelligence gathering. Yeah. What part of it did you find the hardest to deal with in those sort of those nine, ten years you were doing Ten years, yeah. yeah. I think the hardest bit was probably the boredom. I think, you know, when people watch the films, James Bond cutting around, shooting people, going to casinos, getting poisoned and all that yeah, kind yeah. of stuff, it really isn't like that. Um, a lot of it is quite boring. Um, you know, you, you are out uh, collecting intelligence, but... But the exciting bit is when it changes. Ten yeah. percent of your work is high pace, high pressure, really, really good fun. Yeah. Um, but that's where you earn your money. Being able to switch from five hours of nothing into two hours Intense of just period. complete intenseness. Yeah. Uh, so the hardest bit was probably the boredom, but you you found ways of getting around that because don't forget as well that was before really smartphones and stuff, so you yeah, can just yeah. play games and there was nothing. You know, maybe reading a book. Just and, a lot of watching. Yeah, a lot yeah. of watching. Yeah. What's the sort of most memorable experience that you remember from those ten years? Um, I think probably, broadly speaking, the skills I learned um, in 10 years uh, working in the intelligence world at government level, the skills I learned um, were incredible to pass on to the, the private industry. Yeah. Uh, not all of them were transferable. But the skills I learned through, um, probably for me the best thing is, is the sort of teamwork skills and understanding that actually in that environment a lot of people have different skill sets and leveraging the different skill sets, uh, sorry, leveraging the different skill sets to get the work done. Yeah. Um, there's certain tools for certain jobs and that, that I learned that very quickly and actually I was, um, in the government services, I was one of the youngest uh, managers, one of the youngest team leaders and then one, one of the youngest higher level uh, managers that they'd ever had uh, actually I was 28 um, when I managed a large group of individuals and normally at that uh, level I got to it was someone that had served 20-25 years and yeah. I'd done eight years at that point okay. so um, yeah that that was my best bit the skills I learned through through the the services yeah um, so quite intense a yeah lot of time so did you have a family then I did yeah, yeah. two young kids spent so how, lots how of time away how did that work what was the kind of People ask me, I only got asked last night, two days after, about work-life balance because I lead quite a hectic life and do a lot of stuff. And mm. that's my choice to do that because I don't want to stagnate. I'm always task-oriented, yep. on to the next, on to the next. And work-life balance, I've got a certain opinion on that. So how, how was the balance and the effect on the family with that kind of a, of a job, which I would think about, you know, think about and thinking about it from my situation, looking at the intelligence world, I'd think is long hours, a lot of information, 
you know, mentally tiring, draining. Yep. How's that? Did that have an effect on your family at the time? Or? No, you're right. It, it, it was all that. And I think that the difficult bit as well, you go to work thinking you're doing a late shift. Yeah. Thinking you'll be back at nine, um, you know, to put the kids to bed maybe. But actually then you stay out the night, you, you travel up to Birmingham, stop in a hotel, you know, head down the high street to get pants and socks for the next day because you didn't plan to go away. Um, so that was the hardest bit, not not being able to, I guess, sort private uh, life out. Yeah. Um, but but once again, without sloping shoulders, I think because of the experience I had in the military and spending months and months away, actually a couple of nights here and there, a week here, uh, a, a night I didn't come home than the, at the time I should have done because of work. Personally, I didn't find it that difficult. Yeah. There were issues along the way, but again, it's how you manage it as an individual, um, you know, with, with the kids and, and, and just manage expectations. Yeah. But I always see the positives from it. Yeah. So yeah, I might go away for a week, but then I might get a couple of days off because I've worked so many hours. So I have a long weekend. So I'm like, that's all right, because I've got a long weekend now. Yeah. Um, so it's just dealing with the different environments. But yeah, I know it, it's difficult for some people that have never experienced going away for long periods of time. Yeah. But just always trying to find the positives out of everything in life. And that's the sort of um, the mantra I've set now for the rest of it. I still fall into the negativity here and there, but I'm a human we're, being. We're human, aren't yeah. we? Yeah. So would, would your partner say the same thing? There's a lot of people that listen to this that are new startup business owners, people wanting to start a business or people that are, that, are, that are very committed to their role and they work a lot of hours and they struggle with that kind of, in quotes, work-life balance. So what kind of a, if your partner did struggle with aspects of that, you know, your incons- the inconsistency, I suppose, of, of travel and different things, what would be your kind of um, advice to helping get that balance right? I think for any any relationship, I'm, I'm really lucky now because my partner, we, we both work from home. It, we, can, we can manage things really, really, really well. But anyone, I guess, in that situation um, where they're finding it difficult, I think it's just the communication thing. It really is communication. And it sounds really sort of corporate but whoever the person is going away all the time it is to set expectations and not over promise because I guess you get the tendency um, maybe the wife has got a high-paced job and she might go into Europe and all these conferences and stuff um, and you get that I guess you get that guilt in any relationship you you get guilt don't you, you think oh mm. shit I've spent a long time away and the kid, I haven't, taken, I haven't done a school run or haven't done anything really and it's hard on the other person it, I, I think my, my big advice was don't don't over promise things because there's a tendency if you're away for a week go when I get back I'm going to book that leave and I'm going to take you to Paris for the weekend or whatever it might be um, but you get back and another job comes in and, and that's where the difficulty comes in because the over promising and under delivering I think setting expectations knowing where things are and constant communication for any anyone in, in that sort of environment in, the, in that um um, situation. Yeah, I think you, you sound like you're speaking from experience. There's a few <laughs> yeah. little pain points, yeah, in yeah, there, yeah. A, few, yeah. a few arguments. Never and... overpromise. <laughs> yeah, I'm, I'm going to take that one on because uh, yeah, I think I think we all do that from time to time. We it do. comes from a good place, doesn't it? Because yeah. you want to. You mean you it? Wanna, yeah, you yeah, mean yeah. it at the time. And um, what's the um, comedian that? when he talks about going out out and stuff and I'll be oh back. Mickey Flanagan Mickey Flanagan I'll be back at half seven yeah. oh, I might be, might be about and quarter to night, eight or I might be nine with his loaf of bread <laughs> I'm <laughs> out for the one. night love See I you love later. that one I love that um, one so in terms of um, so your military and the, the sort of intelligence stuff being quite draining how yeah. did that I mean seeing as we're recording this in, in World Mental Health Week um, how did that have an effect on you as a person so you, you obviously come across quite resilient and that's come from things that have happened and like you said you you learn and, and yeah. use that information but how does all of that pressure stress 
time served in the military doing the intelligence work where maybe family and friends don't really understand what you're doing and you can't really have that out mm-hmm. in terms of you know communication with yeah. information and situations how did that affect you from a mental state yeah good question and i think um everyone's different aren't they you know some people if they're pressured anxious tired pissed off whatever it might be they might go and have a couple of pints and that might be their outlet that yeah. might be letting the steam off it might be that someone goes for a run and they let steam off that way or goes to the gym yeah. i was always a couple of pints kind of person that's yeah. that tend to work um still does to be honest but it di- yeah it's difficult to answer because there's lots of people in different situations people got it worse off people better off but actually in their mind this is a difficult thing in from an outsider's point of view it's always hard to give advice because you're not inside their brain yeah and from an outsider things are simple it's like when a kid's come to you with a question or or your partner or a colleague, they come with a question, you go, well, it's simple, mate, just do that. Yeah. Easy to give advice. Yeah. But really understanding what's going on in someone's head is the most difficult thing. And I know it's cliche and people do always say it, but it's about having a proper real conversation, but not saying to someone always, because uh, you hear the cliche comment now um, with mental health, it's good to talk about it. Yeah. But actually as an individual, if you notice something's happening, you need to take the onus and you talk to that person you think you're concerned about. Yeah. You do it. You do the hard work. Because, it, in, and I, I, I listened to the, the, the boxer chat that was on, on your previous, uh, sorry, previous podcast. I forget his name, forgive me. Um, but he was saying about, you know, what, if you give, you get it back. And this isn't about giving someone to get something back. Yeah. It's not about that. Um, but you never know when you might need the world to kick in to give yeah. you a favour back. Yeah. And it's just good to be a nice human being. Yeah. That person will appreciate it, whether it's then or in a year's time. But I think there's too much onus personally on the person that has the issue internally yeah. to speak out and seek help. Yeah. If you notice it, you deal with it and, and, and you ask the questions. They might not have questions. the confidence to bring it to the table. They exactly might right. The, they might have the strength to bring it to the table. But exactly. if you table a format... Yes, which could just be asking them a question that enables them to open yep. up. Then find find some common ground you're there. And you're absolutely right; they might be nervous about speaking about it because it could be that they're just shy. Um, but more often than not, I think now is because actually they think if I tell someone this problem, they're going to think that's stupid. Yeah. From that outsider's perspective, because to them this isn't this isn't a problem, and they get a bit embarrassed by it, and it eats them up, and it just that snowball effect. So yeah, my yeah, my advice on 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 that and my experience is I've always found it good ask the horrible questions yeah uh, they might say shut up mate i'm fine but ask the question because they're not fine so if you ever had an experience when you're in the military and you know through your working life or your life where you felt really really low in that position and again it's not comparing to anybody sure else, thing, like you yeah. say but for you at that time I that have. was the the lowest of the low of the low point i have and um again there's always someone worse off but i think for me my lowest point is actually the reason I left uh, government work was I mentioned previously I got promoted to a level that normally someone that served 20, 25 years. Yeah. I got promoted to that position after eight years. Yeah. Um, and a lot of people didn't like it. That's life. Human beings do not like that because they want to excel. They want to be the person that's promoted yeah. and gets... Why has he know, got the opportunity, not me? Yeah, I've been here longer exactly stuff, right. Yeah. It, you've hit the nail on the head. Why is he getting the opportunity and not me? Yeah. Um, and I felt very, very isolated. I was posted uh, regionally um, to a completely new team. 
where people in that team thought they were going to get the promotion. Okay. It was horrible. So you're walking straight into it. It was absolutely a... horrible. Whatever I did, I was never going to win. Um, I had people backstabbing, going to the, the, the bigger boss, saying he's done stuff, he said this, and it was awful. I was set up to fail. Yeah. Um, but at that point, I realised that the government uh, industry, so to speak, wasn't for me anymore because I actually, again, learned from every experience you learn about human beings a lot more. I learned yeah. a lot about human beings on that posting. Although I felt crap, isolated, low, like I literally got no help here. No one's helping. Yeah. They're, they are making me fail. Yeah. Um, I learned a lot about human beings uh, um, and that sort of 18 months that I'd done that posting. And things though as well. You, you, and a lot you, about trust actually. You're, try, you're trying to do the best for your family and you're working hard yeah. and you're trying to earn the money and, you're trying to, and you want to build a career. Yeah. When you've got people maliciously against that through no fault of your own at all, that's a hard. I it mean, is I, hard. I've been in that place before, and it's a tough. It is a mentally, it's a tough place yeah. to be because you can't really turn anywhere. And if you are spending a lot of time at work and you're speaking to the, the same, you know, you, you end up maybe talking too much to the people that are going to use that information against you further down the line. And it's just, yeah, I, I found it quite difficult to understand who I could trust and who I couldn't trust. Yeah, which is weird because I was in a I was in a job where trust should have been unquestionable. Yeah, yeah. And I think the biggest thing for me, which made me feel low, was the disappointment. Yeah. I was disappointed in human beings at that point, thinking, yeah. how can you, like, I'm here to try and do a good job just like you are. Yeah. And actually look at our job. Our job, broadly speaking, is to keep people safe. Yeah. Why, why, why make, why, it, difficult why make it difficult for us? Yeah. Um, I was disappointed, um, if I'm honest, mate. And that was the reason I started thinking, if you don't like it, and this is what people are all about in this section, in this organization, in the government, or, or whatever organization it is, yeah. I'm always, again, a big believer, if you don't like it, take ownership, sort it out yourself, and move on and do something. Yeah. I could have sat in that job, cushy little number for years, got a lovely pension, but I would have hated every minute of it. Yeah. What a waste of life. Yeah. What a waste of life. Um, so I dealt with it. I took risks, risks. I got out. I found a different job, and I built my career again in the private industry. Once again, I've never looked back. So actually now I look back at when I felt really shit, isolated, disappointed so with human beings and thought yeah. that was perfect. I'm glad they did it. Thank you yeah. very much because that's now where that's I'm, where where I'm now. To go and do Loved it. it. Plus I think you learn a lot more from negative situations. And, you do. And for me, I'm, I like to try and read people and I'm relatively okay at that and that's a skill of mine to kind of read and understand people a bit more. I'm quite a people-orientated person. I think you learn a lot more from people that do things in a certain way that you probably don't agree You're with. You're right. Because it teaches you how not to be. And You're certainly right. when we, you know, we've been running our businesses for, for only a few years. We, we, you know, we're quite green in terms of people that have been doing it 20, 30 years. Yeah. We do a good job, but we've got a lot to learn. Um, and, I've, and I look back and I think about situations and I think about how certain people would deal with those situations. And I don't think back to the best leaders in my career and how they would deal with that situation. I think how not to deal with the situation based on right. X, Y, and Z and what I've learned not to do because I've understood how that's made somebody feel, how that's you know antagonized the situation, how that's blown the situation from naught to 100 because I've delivered something in a certain way that's just not the right thing to do. You're right. And that yep. enables me to learn and think, well, we run our own business. We can actually say and do what we want. We're not beholden to anyone, but actually we are beholden to the people that are working really hard for, yes. the, for the organization for our customers for for, for us as, as as board members mm -hmm. everyone's on the same level but you learn a lot more i think from the bad experiences than you do from the good 100 percent bad experiences negativity mistakes again in in, in in any industry that's when you earn your money how do you deal yeah. with that mistake yeah uh, same as sportsmen and women 
Yeah. Uh, if they make a mistake on the pitch, on the field, whatever their uh, their their sport is, really they earn their, they earn their money from how they deal with how that upset, the recovery. Yeah. yeah boxers, for but example. You don't see it, do you? No. You don't see. That's that where they earn their money. That but is that, where the grit where comes from. That's where I think social media needs to come in. And true. And that should be opened up. Not true. Not that. You know, you're a successful sportsman or a successful businessman. You have four holidays a year, and this is, and you're driving a Bentley and all this stuff. Nobody wants to see that, um, but that's what is portrayed. What people I think should see is what's led you up to that. What you know, fair the play. story. Fair, yeah, yeah. Fair, and, and hence the whole point of doing what we do here is, yeah. you know, first and foremost, the podcast for me was an area to vent and an area to say what I want to say because I didn't feel like I could talk to many people at the time. And like I said to you before we come on with a 20 pound mic in a garage and that was where it started. Love it. Yeah. Um, but I think what, and again, in a point of getting you on is someone with a very unique background. I want people to understand your journey and take away from that what they feel they, they can take away mm-hmm. to help them in their personal situations mm-hmm. and get that feedback because I'm not massive, you know, you're obviously doing well for yourself. You've got a lot of opportunities there and we've spoken about it, you know, over the last few weeks and, and, and just before you come on, you know, the lifestyle that you've got now is, is much better than it was, but you've made that. Yeah. And what I'm interested in, what everyone's interested in is, How's he gone and done that? You know, what are the transitions? What are the choices? You mentioned about risk taking. That's what people want to know about. And I think that's where people should just open the door. Successful people in the public eye should open the doors more to that stuff. You're right. And and do you know what? When you're speaking to me, Aaron, there, I'm thinking in my head, I, I know what the problem is. Yeah. And uh, with the social media stuff. But I think now society, and I think this is born out of social media yeah. and the digital revolution we live in. People now, especially the younger generation, this is no disrespect because I, 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 I fear for them. I'm actually disappointed how the older generation have, have, have manipulated this. But I think the main issue now is people are too worried of what other people think. Yeah. So if you take a risk and you fail, people think, oh, no, they're all going to go, oh, what a loser. I told you not to do that. You should have just stayed what you're doing. Good example is um, when um, we decided to move to Spain, it was just pre-Brexit, so politically we didn't know what the hell was going on. You know, you know once we leave uh, the European Union, would we be able to stay? We, we had no idea. But we knew we just couldn't stand the UK anymore. And, and the, the UK, weather. Yeah, we're just, yeah. The, the weather, we just like, you know what, there's more to life than staying in one country. Let's move. We made the decision. We sold everything on eBay. It's a big decision. On Amazon. Yeah. People carrying around, taking the TV away. We got on a plane with four suitcases. We hadn't even seen the house we were going to rent yet because it was in that stage of well, we, we saw the outside, but we couldn't go in to see it, blah, blah, blah. Didn't even see it. We just literally moved with four suitcases and started again in a different country. That's um, huge, though, really. It, that's, it, that's, that, you know, you, you're saying it in a way that, that's kind of underplaying how big that move yeah, is. Uh, but, I don't but think I know anybody in my network and my circle that would up and move them and their family in that way to another country. That's a massive move. It, 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 it was massive, yeah. but it was exciting. Yeah. And I, I've always taken risks. It was, it, I, I find that exciting. Yeah. I, what I wouldn't find exciting is not taking risks. Yeah. Does your partner feel the same? Or yeah. Is she more reserved? She's, or, no, yeah. she's, she's brilliant. She's like me. We, we, if we want to do something, we will do it. And this is where the, the mindset is. If we moved to Spain, didn't like it, or politically we couldn't stay there and we had to come back, we don't care. Yeah. I don't care what, other, what another person would think of me having to come back to the UK. Yeah. Um, but whatever that decision was, whether that was going for another job or um, trying a different job out, or if, if it didn't work, I don't care what other people think. Yeah. 
but I but think that's powerful. The, but the that's main issue now moment. is most people do care. Yeah. That's why they won't take the risk to try that different job or they won't risk going to another country because they're too bothered of what other people think. Yeah. If you can get that out of your head, you will take risks, but you won't think it's a risk. Yeah. To Free me, then, that's exciting. Choice, yeah. And even if we had to come back, what an experience that was. Oh, do you remember when we went there? We got there with four suitcases, checked into a hotel, not knowing what the hell we're doing. Wasn't that funny? I think that's exciting. Yeah. Most people would dread that situation. Yeah. But I think it all stems back from that little person in my head that does not care what other people think anymore. And I'm, I'm, I will have that mindset forever do now. Do you think that's something you can learn? It, can you learn it? Um I think you can, I think, yeah, I think you can teach yourself that mindset. Um, whether that might be, you know, again, each and every person is different. We're all inherently different people. We've got our own confirmation biases in our head. Yeah. We were all brought up in different environments, different religions, different parts of the country, different influences in our life. So we all think differently. Yeah. So whatever it is for you that makes it work, it might be that you, you go, do you know what? I'm going to come off Instagram. I'm not going to look at that for a year. And actually that might help you not care what people think. Yeah. Um, because it's all about image nowadays. Um, it took me a while, and I did care what people thought when I was in the government services. I did, I did yeah. care, and it really ate away at me. And that was my low point because I cared what people thought. Do you think it comes with age? Yes, it does come with age. You're absolutely right. It yeah. does come with age, and I, I think I'll become more relaxed with it as I get older, and really not care. <laughs> yeah, like, I, I, I was having this conversation a couple of uh, a couple of days ago, or maybe a week ago. Um, and I was talking, someone was asking me about, um, yeah, it was only a week ago or so, and they are asking me about kind of what I was like in my 20s. I'm in 34, look 44, look older than me. Looking good, mate, looking good. I think so. Um, <laughs> and it was sort of mid-20s that it kind of kicked in for me, and I was tremendously interested in what everybody else thought. It was, you know, I was moving through a business, yeah. doing well. Again, same experiences as you. I was sitting in a boardroom, mid-20s, in and around people in their 40s that are much more experienced, thinking, why the hell is this guy in here? But I was there out of, Hard work, competency, I was good enough. Same as you look at sports players, if you're good enough, you're old enough. Yep. It's the way it is. Yep. You wouldn't be there and otherwise. I, and I was grateful yep. to the CEO for giving me an opportunity yep. to be sitting in there, and I learned a lot. But I was really, really, you know, fundamentally for me, it wasn't about how I was feeling. It was about what other people yep. thought of me. It's horrible, and, and isn't I would, it, really, when you think work, of it. And I would work longer than everyone else because I was. it was important to me that my boss knew I was there yes. before him, after him and stuff. And I look, I look back and I think that's quite a... Con uh, it's a tunnel vision constraint. Yeah, it controls your mind. Yeah, it, it, and it is an element of control, and maybe that's what business was back then. But I look at it now, and I think, you know, did the podcast, I don't care how many downloads it does. I'm really not interested, because that's not why we started no. the podcast. And if one person downloads it, and they take something from it, and we get a bit of good feedback, and they're like, you know, I've listened to this, and I've learned that, and I'm going to adopt this, which we get all the time, that's exactly what it's there for. And imagine, right, if you... But that's freedom for yeah, me. Yeah, but like, if you'd still thought that way, you wouldn't. we wouldn't be sat here now. Yeah. If you still thought that way. And again, it's easy to say in hindsight, looking back objectively yeah. from the outside, Aaron, if you didn't have that attitude when you were doing really successful yeah. and you didn't have that eaten away at you, how well, how much more would success? you be? You, you would have doubled your profession, not professionalism, that's the wrong word, but maybe output in yeah, life. Output opportunity. But it's yeah. a natural process. It's yeah. no fault of yours, no fault of mine. I was in that mindset before. No fault of anyone listening to the podcast. It's a natural process. And I yeah. think whether you hit that, uh, mindset at 60, 65, 21, 30. Mine was early 30s. Yeah. When I thought, do you know what? I don't give a shit what people think because if that's if that's my mindset, I will never do anything. Yeah. And they say, if people aren't slagging you off, 
you're not doing anything right. Yeah. And the people have, having opinions of anything you're doing in a negative way, they're only airing their own anxieties or own downfalls. Yeah. Um, and you see it a lot, actually, military, uh, government services, police, where people leave and make something in their lives, do something exciting that people still even go, oh, what an idiot. Well, what have they done that for? And you, yeah. I, I've not written a book, but you know, ex-coppers writing books and stuff like that, you'll see the, the, the feedback and you know it's someone that's still serving because, they, yeah. because they're jealous. They don't like yeah, it because yeah, yeah. they will never take a risk and leave. They will sit in that job until yeah. their pension and be bored. But that's their own fault. Of course it is, yeah. That's their own, that's their own choice. They're just negative people. And I, I can't stand being around negative people. And that's why that's why I left. I, Ten years, loved it, enjoyed it. It got to a point, right, if I stay, I'm just going to be negative, bored, yeah. and disappointed. I don't want that for myself or anyone. Move on. That's great. So talk to me about Hunted. So I've had a lot of people on social media when I've kind of engaged with some people that you were coming on that have, um, that have talked to me about Hunted, um, massive fans of the show. Nice. Um, which is great. Great to hear. The show is really interesting. I mean, I love, I love that kind of James Bond secrets and intelligence. <laughs> and I, I'm personally excited about understanding, you know, things that people know about you. You know, like you travel to work, what information's being shared, who looks at it. Because, you know, I think when you actually take a look at it, you know, some people will be quite scared of the information that people have on you. Yeah. Um, but yeah, the, the show is brilliant, really engaging. Thank you. Concept's brilliant. Um, and also you played a big part in that in the UK um, with Peter as well. So, how did the whole thing come about? Because going from secret, you know, going from intelligence yeah. into effectively, you're in front of cameras, and it's a it's a completely different step. huge, huge, huge change. Um, it was it was one of them situations in life. I know you make your own luck. You get in the right circles. You network. You ingratiate with with people. Um, and it was a friend of a friend. His brother-in-law worked at the production company. They were they were doing this concept, but it had been you know rubber stamped by the channel. They got the funds. They're going to make this cool TV program. Yeah. Um, so they spoke to me about it. Said, "Oh, they want to recruit people from your background, intelligence, military, surveillance. You know, people that can you know go and hunt people down and, and gather information, that kind of stuff." And um, I was like, "That sounds really cool." Uh, yeah, I'll go. And, I'll go and speak to them. And literally a couple of days after, I went to the production office. Had an interview. I was, I'll be honest, Aaron, I was crap. I had yeah. to do what they call a piece to camera. Okay. Yeah. Um, and it was like a couple of minutes. Tell me about yourself. I was rubbish. Because that's different. Yeah. Fair enough, you can do all the actual work, the intelligence. It is different. Work, but you've now got to be a face in front of a camera. Yeah. That's, that's probably weird. something you've never done. It was weird yeah. and I was crap, if I'm yeah. honest. Um, in fact, I was that crap and because I'd never, I'd, it was like a big camera in front of me. Someone asked me questions. I think this is weird. Yeah. Um, well, it's a job interview on steroids, isn't it? Really, yeah, when you're being filmed, and it went yeah. to Channel Four, and I was like, "No, nah, he's I don't." So I basically got chinned off on the first one, and it was only because someone dropped out last minute. The production went, "Well, could you come back?" So I was a Plan B initially. Ended up yeah. being the chief, so I learned quickly. Yeah. Um, but yeah, that that's how it came about. So yeah, yeah, happy. The next week after, I filled filled in for someone, and actually it ended up being the deputy role on the first ever series of Hunted. Yeah which the, the concept really when it was built was it was more of an experiment as to see whether someone could truly hide from a surveillance state that we live in. You know, everything we do leaves a trace. As soon as you click upload or send an email or put a picture on social media, really that's no longer your property. That's the internet's property. Yeah. The internet never forgets. And we can, we could, I could talk about this all day, but um, yeah, so the, the first ever show is like an experiment. We'd done it. We thought that's really cool. Probably won't do it again, whatever. Uh, met met really cool people, 
and it came out and, and people loved it and they and they 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 sort of changed the concept slightly it was a bit more of a game of them and us there was prize money put in there yeah. celebrity versions being thrown yeah. in um i worked with peter for years i was his deputy he was the chief really really fond memories uh, i know i've done the chief role for a series but hand on heart the best chief hunted has ever had is peter blexley yeah he was awesome we had a great time um we did have the couple of pint debriefs most days yeah. really fond memories great time um and then lucky enough i think it was after series two as with all of these programs different countries look and go what are you doing yeah, yeah. I'll try that. Yeah. So the Americans did, and I was lucky enough. They said, would you fancy doing the American one? I was like, absolutely do. Yes, yeah. thank you. Uh, went was that to aired on CBS, didn't it? CBS, yeah, yeah correct. And um, uh, they never ended up picking it up again. The the the, the sort of um, the head, uh, the one that was flying the flag for Hunted in, in the States and the production company left the job. Someone else came in. They want to make their own mark. They got rid of all the old programs. Yeah. Anyway, uh, so they didn't do it again. I continued doing the UK show, became the chief. Um, very much enjoyed it. And I think because I'd done in the UK, uh, I think nine series, might be eight, eight or nine series, if you include the celebrity ones. Yeah. Done the chief role, done the deputy role for years. For me, it felt a good time to exit the UK one. In actual fact, didn't even know Australia would want to do one yet. No yeah. idea. I just I just left for personal reasons. Uh, obviously, I was living in Spain at the time. Um left all very amicable no problem at all and then the australian one it was actually again how life funny life works out someone messaged me on linkedin who was linked in with another person i used to work with in the government and said i've heard the australians are doing one are you are you on that one i said no i'm not i've not heard anything about it yeah would love to though and then a couple of days after a producer emailed uh, and said i'd love to have a chat and i was like brilliant so would I <laughs> yeah. uh, and then and then um, went over to the Australian one which I can't talk too much about at the moment because it's still under embargo it's not airing until um, July August potentially yeah um, but what I can say is again being biased it will be the best series of hunted ever in the world it will be incredible it was an incredible show to make really really cool yeah how long were you filming it for uh, we filmed that for around a month with you know rehearsal week pr uh, preparation that kind of stuff um, but some some yeah you, I, I'm hoping people will get to uh, air it over, or see it over in the UK because trust me if you're a hunted fan uh, some of the guys you you've been to, speaking yeah. to you need to you Don't need to watch it. it it'll be incredible yeah no we'll definitely be tuning in I'm sure plenty of people will be as well um, and for you a bit of good weather it was awesome days, eh? yeah brilliant it was really, really in the UK getting a tan in January so I've had a couple of people reach out to me this week um, with some questions sure. about, about hunted specifically so who's the worst celeb hmm that you've worked with the worst I've got to pick one out you've got to pick one out you've got <laughs> a name and shame um, we won't tag it we won't tag be, in any post or anything but yeah it's got to be um, Mr Johnson so our current Prime Minister's father right he was on the run Stanley Johnson um, forgive me I don't know what series of the celebrity version it was maybe third series of celebrity version in the UK um, but he, he basically just ended up um, just bimbling his way through. Uh, and but, but what was annoying is he was just lucky every time. Okay, yeah. The seventh principle of surveillance is luck. He was lucky every day. He would just ping. We knew where he was all the time. Every single day, we just didn't have anyone near to be able to act. Because don't forget, we've only got six cars in the UK. No, cover. actually, celebrity version, four cars to cover the whole of the United Kingdom. Yeah. We can't just ring the local police station up and go, can you get down to the train station quickly? we got to drive there. Yeah. 
And so we knew where he was every single time, every day, checking in the hotels, getting on a boat. We knew where he was, just bimbling his way through this process. He didn't even know what he was doing himself, to be honest. But we just couldn't get to him. Yeah. And we, we got him in the end, but he was he was terrible in so much as if this was the real world, he would have got caught after half an hour, I think. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. More resources. Exactly, though. yeah. A little bit like his son, maybe. Yeah. But bumbling his way yeah. through and <laughs> doing his best. Yeah, I live in Spain, so I don't need to get Maybe uh, that's rule seven about... of being the PM. You need, you need some luck. <laughs> luck yeah, I don't know. exactly. Yeah. yeah, that's a subject in itself, isn't it? So, so we've hunted. How much of it's real and how much isn't? Get asked that question a lot, and it's a really good question. Um, the process is fair. It is very fair in so much as we're not given any information unless we investigate it correctly. Yeah. So if you're on the run, uh, we need to work out who your close network is, who, who's your husband, wife, brother, sister, whatever. Who did you go to university with six years ago? Uh, and who are their friends? Because don't forget, if they're reaching out to people, they want to keep it difficult. They don't want to reach out to their husband, wife or whatever. Um, if they use their brother's uncle's work car, we've got to piece that together to find the car to request information from that particular vehicle. So we're not given anything unless we find it out. So that's real. It's very fair. And don't forget as well, there's prize money. So it has to be fair. Ofcom get involved. There's an audit process. It's very, very fair. And they make a big point of it. And they employ very good people to so make it fair. So the governor of the intelligence works in the same way as it would do normally. Yeah, exactly right. to find everything out. We have to find everything out. Um, How many people are doing it behind the scenes? Behind the scenes, it varies on different productions. You know, if it's the celebrity version versus the, the main version. But from a production point of view, I couldn't give you a number. But what I do know, speaking to production stuff, and I'm not production... Um, it is one of the most complex, biggest TV shows to make. Don't forget, you've got so many moving parts. You've yeah. got you've got headquarters. You've got the fugitives. You've got the the guys, the ground hunters on the ground. You know, zapping around the country and doing research and, and catching them. You've got all of that. You've got you've got hundreds of thousands of hours of footage to cut down into six episodes of forty five yeah. minutes. The yeah. the edit process after, yeah. so I'm told, is just immense. Yeah. So there is a lot of people. It's very expensive to make, uh, but people love it, and that's why it's continued to made, make, uh, being made every year. Yeah. What's your best experience on the show, do you think? My best experience on Hunted, um, probably meeting my partner, Danny okay. Brooks. She was a yeah. grand hunter. I met her uh, on the show. Um, but I think, ju again, just... You have to say that, though, do you? I've got to say that, but it's true. <laughs> it's true, and that's where I am Can't now. Get an easy life. Exactly. Um, but... I think just in general, really, it's just, again, the, without sounding too corporate and boring, is the networking. It, it's out of my comfort zone to do that in the, initially, but I knew it would be a fast-paced acceleration into the private world. And I'd only been out the, the services for about six months. Yeah, so you're still sharp. But, but yeah, but I knew as well, I was, I was so inexperienced with the private world, being in government agencies, military police, you're very, very insular. You live in this little bubble. You don't, and, and no offence, but you don't actually know what the real world is. The private industries, you have no idea. You think you do, but you don't. Yeah. But actually, when you get out and you think, Jesus Christ, you know, rabbit in headlight situation, what, what do I do? You know that you need to network and know people that in different industries and know yeah. someone who knows someone to help you out. That was a fast-paced environment for it. And over the years, I have met some incredible people very professional people, people that will be my friends for life. On the American show, this is the power of doing something that's out of your comfort zone. Because I've done that first show, I now work for an incredible 
American cybersecurity company. My boss, Teresa Payton, was the equivalent of me on the American show. Okay. We yeah. met on there. We kept in contact. I now work for her company. Yeah. Best job I've ever had in my life. Yeah. All because six, seven years ago, I went out of my comfort yeah. zone, took a risk. And, 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 you know, lots in between, but that's how it works. So my, 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 I guess my, my fondest memories of all of it is, is just meeting great people across the world. Good. So Pete, I think a lot of people that I've spoken to about Hunted want to see you come back and they want to see the, the old band get back together. Is that something <laughs> yeah. that would ever happen? Do you know what? If they, if they, if production rung and said, oh, we want to do an old school series. Are they listening to this? Oh, well, maybe, maybe. <laughs> <laughs> if you want to do an old, an old school series where we get you, Blacks back, all the old ground hunters, you know, basically the ones that are on the first ever series. Oh yeah. my God, I would absolutely jump at the chance. I'd love an it. OGs. I would love hunted. it. I would yeah. love it. I mean, yeah, we had some great laughs over the years. Um, you know, and but things in life change. They move on. You know, different people go into different positions. That's just life. Yeah. But oh my God, yeah. If they said you, you Blex and the old Ground Hunter teams and that come back, I would, right I would, I would love it. It would be great fun. So, if you were on the other side of it and you were being hunted, where would you go? Another great question. Um, it dep- I would be very dynamic if I was on the run. I wouldn't rely on technology. Um, I wouldn't reach out to people I knew. If I had to part of the process i would be very strategic about it yeah um but really for me i would not plan it because I, as i've found over the years not just on the show but in general real life criminals terrorists and and, and whatnot if they don't know what they're doing how does the people trying to chase you know what really? to do yeah, or yeah. where you're going to go plan, so i would not make a plan i would literally make that in my head every morning i wake up and go right today i'm going to Head north, maybe hitchhike, do this, that, or the other. Don't have a plan, um, because if you have a plan, we would find it out. Yeah. Or I know the hunters would find that plan out. Um, don't pre-plan anything. Literally go and make it up. Strategically, not yeah. literally make it up yeah. like uh, Stanley Johnson every day. Yeah. Um, but make it up strategically and not really plan anything past 48 hours. That, that, that would be my general theme. And I wouldn't say I'll just go to rural areas and I'll just go to urban areas. I would do a mix of both. Both have risk and reward attached to both of them. Rurally, you'd think you'd go, there was no one there, no one to see me. But Mrs. Miggins down the local pub would know that there's a new person in the street yeah. or someone walking past. They notice everything rurally. Yeah. They're inherently nosy people yeah, uh, for a good reason. Whatever, They're just yeah, nice yeah. because they want to help out. Oh, I've seen there's a new butcher's opening up and they know everything about everyone. Yeah. Downfall. In the city, yeah, you can get lost in the masses, but you've got cameras on every street corner. Yeah. Um, so, yeah, risk and reward. So you mentioned about being in cybersecurity now. So what, what does that entail? Because I've got some bits that I want to ask you about this in terms yeah. of actually real life what data is out there, you know, what visibility have people got on me or the normal Joe blogs on the street? Um, I'm guessing doing what you're doing now with kind of the cyber security work that you do, um, you're going to know a lot about that. So yeah, what are you doing now and how does that kind of affect the normal man and woman walking down the street? So I work, um, yeah, for the American company Fortless Solutions and, and been with them for over three years. But my main role is not a technical cybersecurity individuals as most people would attach cybersecurity to yeah. someone technically going through and hacking in there's an element of it but my main role is uh, intelligence gathering online so what i used to do physically is now online um but but really actually from a keeping people safe perspective so i guess you could say as a digital bodyguard yeah 
we look after CEOs, we look after uh, organizations, um, individuals that are just generally concerned for their security. Uh, people that hackers and cyber criminal, criminals would absolutely want to target because yeah. of wealth or, or, or otherwise. So we would go in and find, so let's say you're my client and you come to me and say, Ben, um, I've got 20 million quid in the bank and yeah. I know I'm, I'm someone's it's after, target, you know, trying yeah. to get into my laptops and stuff like that. I would say, all right, Aaron, well, let me go online and see what's available about you. Yeah. Once we know what's available about you, we almost know how they would be targeted. Yeah, you can so knowing, yeah. yeah. So um, forewarned is forearmed. That that's a sort of initial notion, and then they're ongoing after that. We we keep an eye on all of that digital uh, information out there. You know, some weird forums on the dark web, or you know, card numbers uh, in America. We'd be looking for their social security and all that kind of stuff, and everything in between. But you touched upon it. You, I don't think anyone really comprehends how much information is out there mm. on any of us even if you don't use social media trust me give me an hour i will find quite a lot of information about you your family where you live the vehicle you drive where you go drinking on a friday after work your friends at work um a lot a lot of information even if you don't think you have a relatively large digital footprint so how's that so from your intelligence world how's that then used stored access who's got what because that's something i'm quite interested in yes yeah. we know that especially if you are did you you know you're 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 on social media and you're doing a lot of stuff on there and you've got a footprint both digitally and not how where's that kept who has access to that who controls that you know what what, what happens in in the in the dark of that intelligence world well that's the scary bit no one really knows what happens with it because it's on the internet yeah um there are deep web databases, there's privileged databases, law enforcement intelligence agencies would have scope of pretty much all of it in a targeted, proportionate manner. They're not yeah. just going to collect data on people for the sake of it. Yeah. Um, there is bulk collection out there, as we know, it's public knowledge, but whether I agree with it or not, you sort of almost need the haystack to find the needle, yeah. if that was the issue. But really, to answer your question, no one really knows where it goes or what happens to it because the the internet is just an anarchic environment which no one owns. So really, you don't know what happens to that information. If, if you find out a server where information is stored, you can bet your ass it's on 20 other servers. Yeah. And if you get rid of that, it would have already been uh, duplicated somewhere else. So uh, I, I, once you upload, send a picture, send an email, text your mate, call your mate, send a letter, whatever, there's a trace on that. Um, by the time you wake up in the morning and get to work, you've made about 20 digital interactions already. Um, I can go online legitimately from an open source perspective in a private industry, pay a small fee of subscription and get your phone numbers, your email addresses, your physical addresses and potentially used passwords and previous passwords as, as a private individual. Yeah. Not even in the government anymore. Not yeah. not looking at privileged data and phone records. But I, I can get an enormous amount of information. That's not showing off at all. That's just illustrating just how it's much there. is available. Yeah. That's surprise. Well, it's not surprising, but it, I think it'd be surprising for people to to hear exactly what's available and how easy and accessible it actually is. Yeah, and I, I think as well, pieces of information are just that. They're pieces of information. They're not particularly dangerous. So, like your email address, if if you posted that uh, on your website not particularly dangerous it's yeah. your email address but once we find all of the other digital breadcrumbs and we stick it together yeah. we make that jigsaw puzzle and we look at the picture actually the 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 
options open to a cyber criminal are immense. Yeah. The amount of information I find on someone's Facebook page, you know, they'll, they'll state on their, the date they got married, who they got engaged to, who all their family are. Well, I'll just go and find the photographer for the wedding if I'm a cyber criminal. I will then find the email address of both of the, 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 the husband and uh, wife, email them and go, hey, it's Sandra, I was a photographer at your wedding. I can make an email address, which is the same as hers. So I think it's legitimate. I've just found 20 photos that I never sent you. You're going to love them. I'm so sorry. Um, click this link and you can download all the new, the new fo- the photographs I found. There's some awesome ones on there. Make it really personable yeah, to personable them. Um, say hello to Dave for me, because on Facebook, they know that Dave was at the wedding as the best man, blah, blah, blah. Um, and they go, oh, brilliant. Click the link. Done. Um, let, like people don't understand you think it's innocuous you think you're too smart for it as well yeah and you think, think oh no one will target me or just because i'm putting um a picture of my kids starting their new day at school with their school crest on no one's bothered by that or the fact that i've got my date at my wedding no one's bothered by that if you stick all that together if someone is hell-bent if someone wants to do, if do something, yeah, yeah if they're hell-bent and getting you technically they will get you um, so I, I just think people need to realise um, this isn't a lesson, obviously, but uh, you, you, I, I'm I'm never surprised about the information I find out there. Yeah, I think even even some of the bits that you mentioned there, it makes sense, doesn't it? But you just don't think about it. Yeah, exactly. People right. don't want to think about it because yeah, they, they know that the information's there, probably. Exactly. Yeah, and we're, and I've never had a meeting with a client when we provided what we found where they're not absolutely shot and the jaw hits the table and think, "How do you help me? Let's get rid of this." Yeah, I think especially if you've got someone that's got experience doing that yeah, and that's exactly. their job yeah. and that's where they make their living doing that yeah. stuff that they shouldn't be doing and piecing that together. Exactly, yeah. You know, like you said, somebody that hasn't got the experience could potentially piece it together. Somebody yeah, could. that's done this for 20 years, 30 years that may have been working in similar organisations to you but are now in the dark side as such, you know, it'd be super easy for them to go and target these people. So, yeah, yeah I can understand why the organisation that you work for now is so called for and probably yeah. be more called for as technology improves. we're seeing it as well and uh, over the pandemic that's why I, I, i'm so humble and lucky to work for the company i do in in the field that i do because the pandemic hit lockdown after lockdown you know spain was no different um but cybersecurity and the risk went up exponentially yeah. so i was fully employed over that period very very lucky um, but again, from decisions I've made previously, yeah. have no you know, forecasting. Okay, this is the the sort of map I, the route I want to take. Um, but yeah, to to touch on your point, it is only getting worse. Yeah. The remote workforces we now have it brings so many more issues. Yeah. Where normally uh, people will come into an office, they log on to a safe environment well, uh, with their laptops. Or, but, but now we're yeah. we're all remote. We're logging in off our own routers at home and sending information over. It's an absolute goldmine for a cyber, secure, uh, cyber uh, criminal. Yeah, you need to have something in place, yeah. definitely. So what's what's the sort of future hold for you then? What's 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 happening over the next sort of year, couple of years? What's exciting in your world? Well, the cybersecurity world is, is getting massive. Um, really exciting. Lots of exciting work. We love keeping people safe. That's like there's nothing better when you finish a job the jaw hits the ground and then you go right well now this is how we're going to sort it it's really 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 rewarding yeah um but obviously with the, the tv projects as well so australian version of hunted will come out um i think maybe summer this year i think it's gonna be a huge hit over there i think the aussies yeah. are gonna love the concept they've just got that kind of 
passion for that kind of uh, energy, uh, you know, energy and, and sort of concept in Australia. So I think we'll see what happens with that. Hopefully there's a recommission on the Australian version. Go over and do that. Hopefully me and Blex go back and do a, a UK version um, with, with all the old. But wouldn't it be nice to do an old version? Who was on series one, right? All come back and do another one. That'd be good, even if it's a sideline. Um, uh, my partner, Danny, she's doing some cool TV projects, one that's going to be coming out on Channel 4 soon. Um, so we've got lots of different cool projects going on. We do loads of keynote speaking. Um I think let's see what happens in the next 12 months. But I think, um, yeah, if the Australian one gets recommissioned, I think they will follow a similar path to the UK one, start to do celebrity versions and, and stuff like that. Yeah, so that will, you know, that will keep me six, seven years down the line doing the Australian version. What does Danny do? Just out of interest. Exactly the same company as me. Okay. Uh, we both work in cybersecurity doing exactly the same, the same kind of work. She was an ex-undercover cop uh, many years ago. So yeah. we both come from similar backgrounds and then sort of met up uh, on, help, though, on filming in terms of the understanding and communication massive you set up before, massive yeah. and i think with with a the sort of don't care what people think attitude we've both got the same yeah. which which allows us to get stuff done and do cool stuff and travel the world and just make uh, make make fun decisions yeah to us a fun decision someone else that'll be a risk yeah, yeah. That, that's sort of mindset we've got. Isn't it? yeah but but listen i think that given you know, the, the the hour or so that we've been talking, we've gone through tons of different things. I think there's some real standout values that have come from the conversation. I'm actually quite surprised some of the things that you've you've mentioned and how deep um, and methodical you think about certain situations yeah. um, and, and, and how that kind of comes across is really, really good. So I think from anybody listening, um, you know, they'll probably, you know, the, the people out there, I think that maybe will want to know a little bit more, um, whether it be about hunted, whether it be about, cybersecurity, future, what it looks like now, whether about, you know, some about your past. You've got a really interesting journey, I think. So it's been really, Thank really you. good to have you on. Um, if people want to find you and they want to sort of reach out and, and say hello and have a chat, where would be the kind of best means to go and do that? Um, Twitter. Uh, I have a public, I do have private social media. So my Instagram's private. I, yep. I, I'm still not that confident to open everything up because of the world I live in. Yeah. Uh, but Twitter, at BenOwen42, at BenOwen42. Uh, and you'll easily find me on LinkedIn as well. Um, and any questions or, or anything like that, you can reach out on there. Perfect. Great. Well, look, that's, that's all for now. Thanks awesome. so much for coming on, Matt. I really appreciate it. It's Enjoyed every one. minute. Thank you very much. Cheers.